there. Welcome to the More Miles podcast. I'm Lauren. I'm Scott. I'm Michelle. And we are the More Miles Run Coaching team. We are not here by ourselves today. We have special guests here with us today. So I want to take a moment to introduce John Pugh, Doctor of Physical Therapy, and Thomas Burge, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. Together, they are the co-founders, co-owners of Maryland Elite Performance Institute. Thanks for joining us, guys. No, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. All right. So our topic for today is strength training for endurance athletes. We are going to take a deep dive uh, on this episode into strength training. But before we get there, um, I really would like to talk about the two of you, um, who you are and who, what Elite Performance Institute is as well. Um, so before we even get to Elite, tell us a little bit about yourselves. I know you both are lifelong athletes, and I suspect that that's part of what brought you into the professions that you do now. Um, so let's go back a ways for, for a moment. Uh, where did you both start your athletic careers? What sports did you play growing up? I'll ask, uh, sorry, I should direct to one of the two of you. Um, John, why don't I ask you first? Okay. (laughs) Or Um, either way. I have played sports my entire life um, from probably the age of three, uh, starting on the soccer field, uh, like a lot of kids do. Um, But uh, settled in playing um, football, basketball, baseball growing up, and then played baseball in college. yeah, went to uh, physical therapy school from from there, and from a very early onset, uh, wanted to focus my attention on the rehabilitation of, of athletes uh, specifically. Everybody needs a physical therapist, but um, ath- athletics is definitely a passion of mine, and I think that's a um, that is a, a niche group that needs some special attention. So. Um, definitely took my passion for athletics into my professional career for sure. So Thomas, what about you? Where did you start in athletics? So I tried T-ball, tried soccer. Those disappeared real quick and then turned over to basketball. So lifelong basketball player played high school, middle school, high school, college, um, and then also played football in high school. So basketball, Walked on at a University of North Carolina, Greensboro, D1 school, ended up transferring to a D3 school, played three years there, and then kind of continued that recreationally afterwards. But basketball, getting in the weight room early taught me that it would help with the basketball stuff on the court. So that kind of fueled my passion to kind of further it as a career. Uh, And initially wanted to be a chiropractor, believe it or not, and then kind of switched gears once I got into college and figured out that you could actually do some strength and conditioning as a profession. It was still kind of in its infancy at the time. Um, Was thinking more collegiate setting, but ended up working in a private sector, which then led us up here and me and John getting together and kind of putting our thing kind of on paper and running with it. Yeah, so that's my next question. How, when did you two meet and and how did the the vision for what EPI is, start. Thomas, you so want to tell we, this story? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. What year was it? Fourteen, fifteen? I I don't remember what year it was. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. We, so, 
there was a well angie ford is someone who i've called a friend for a while she um coached volleyball here at hcc i met her she ended up tearing her acl ended up in the care of john who then pushed her out to go find someone in the community to help her post rehab get back to where she was and um i think she went to three or four different people correct me if i'm wrong i think there was three or four of us and then I actually took her to a, a, an assessment because um, I didn't know, I knew she tore ACL. I didn't know how how ahead she was post rehab. Um, and then she went back to John, had a conversation with John, and then she said, you two need to meet each other. And he can kind of fill in some of those holes. So to fill in a, a little bit, uh, a, a few holes there, like she set up um, appointments if, if you want to call it that with, with several trainers, like, like Thomas said, I said, this is great. I was fairly new to the area and was still trying to find that person that I would uh, refer my, my patients to post rehab. I said, Angie, this is great. I want you to go to every single one of them and then come back and we're going to chat about, you know, their approach and, and, and how they, they took you on. And um, we'll kind of figure out, who's going to be the best. And Thomas was the only one that, that took her through any sort of assessment. This is a person coming off of a major knee surgery and every other trainer that she went to just threw her right in with no questions asked, no, Hey, how's your rehab going? Nothing. And, um, so Thomas, I think they hardly did anything that first day other than like talking and just him getting information about her surgery and how her rehab was going. And then he took her through some, some different movements just to assess, um, you know, where she was at physically. So he would have a better idea of how to program things. So when she came back to me, I was like, that's the guy you, you gotta, you gotta run with him. And, um, yeah, she started working with him. And, and a few weeks later she was like, Hey, I think you two really need to meet. Yeah, I, I think you'll uh, you'll really hit it off. And hey, by the way, he's also from North Carolina. So we found out that all the way in Hagerstown, Maryland, um, uh, we grew up probably, what, 35, 40 minutes from each other in, in North Carolina. Knew some of the same people, but didn't know each other prior to, uh, to, to Hagerstown. But yeah, so we... Uh, that's how we kind of started. Uh, I was still working at another facility and when I was kind of done with patients, uh, and felt like they were ready to transition, I would send them over to him. He would do his thing. And, and after doing it kind of separately for a year and a half, two years, um, we decided to combine efforts and, and do it the right way. We had had multiple meetings throughout this whole time. Like we should do this. We should do this. And never really, and then there was, um, was it the day you're at the house? We actually put it on paper and said, all right, we're going to start. And that's when it kicked off in 2017. Yeah. I kind of gave him an ultimatum. I, I said, hey, I really want to do this, but I'm not doing it if you don't say yes. So it really all hinges on you. You can crush my dreams right now and say no, or you can be down for the ride and, and let's uh, see if we can you know, make a positive impact on some people. And, uh, he was like, Hey, let's do it. So here we are. (laughs) So, um, 
So elaborate on that a little bit to where you are now. Essentially, Elite Performance Institute is physical therapy and strength and conditioning under one roof, under mm -hmm. one uh, group. What, why does that matter? Why, why was that important to both of you? I think it's a seamless transition. I mean, uh, there was a reason that when I moved up here, I was searching for a strength coach to refer my patients to because I'll be the first to admit, I mean, I, I'm obviously very passionate about what I do for a living, but um, physical therapy is only a small part of, of the recovery. And what I was seeing consistently in my career early on was, you know, you rehab these these patients and they get better and then a few months later they show back up on your schedule with a similar problem because there was no long-term follow-up after that they didn't have the they didn't have someone there to kind of guide and, and help keep keep them progressing but you know modern medicine um, insurance companies are only going to pay for so many visits and they, they, you know, really once the patient gets out of pain, they really like to see the therapy kind of, uh, go away. And I talk to patients about that all the time. The pain going away is not even close to being a hundred percent, right? Like we can get people pain free pretty quickly, but you really need to make a fundamental change in the way you move and the way uh, the, the, the foundation that you have for to get long-term results and strength training is that you, you have to keep that up uh, if, if you want to achieve those long-term results. So um, yeah, it just makes sense to me to, to have all of that under one roof and, and selfishly from, from my perspective, one of the hardest things to do is let a person go. So in a, in a typical rehab setting, it's, Hey, um, you know, it's been great working with you. See ya, maybe some other time. Right. And, and you have no communication with them really. Now I, I can be done with a patient, but I'm not really done with them. They're coming into the gym. I see them on a regular basis. They're not on my schedule, but I still get to talk to them, check in on them, not only about their injury, but just like their life in general. It's it just, it's, it's a fun connection that we have uh, with our clients that I think is pretty deep rooted. I think so getting into the heart of our topic for today. Um, one of the things you mentioned is that a lot of times uh, when someone has an injury, they get treatment for the pain and what's lacking in maybe a traditional setting is that the follow-up to address the source of it, the movement pattern. Um, and we as runners are in a sport that the movement pattern and, and your base of strength is so important. We're, we're doing a sport that has, we talked about this in our last episode, hundreds of thousands of repetitions in, in a day, in a race. Um, and, and if you have, if your base is not right, your movement patterns are off, you're, you're weak in certain areas that has a really big impact on your health, on your performance. Um, so that's what we want to really dive into today. Um, Thomas, maybe I'll throw this question to you to kind of get us started and dive in. Um, specifically shifting to runners, endurance athletes, um, why should runners care about strength training? 
Well, to your point, you're putting a lot of pounding on the body. So the best way to protect those joints is to make sure that the joint is strong. And what's the best way to do that? Strength train. Um, having seen endurance athletes over the years, uh, what maybe me and John, but me more specifically, kind of counterintuitive, instead of doing those high rep, let's do sets of 15, 20, with those lighter weights, that's not going to, it's gonna make you somewhat stronger, but it's not gonna help protect the joints as if you're doing a little bit lower volume, a little bit more weight. So I know just in kind of personal experience, talking, working with people, um, they think just doing some sort of exercise is gonna be beneficial, but long-term, to be strong, you have to move some heavier weights. Just generally speaking, that's how it works. Um, get that physiological response. So once, twice a week, 30 minutes, that's going to help protect those joints, the ankle, the knee, the hips, everything that you're using to take step after step when you're running. You're basically, what, jumping on one foot every time you go run. So we wanna make sure everything's nice and stable, everything's nice and strong, and that, again, you're protecting it, trying to prevent any kind of long-term long injury that could come from not being strong, being weak. Yeah. Yeah, can, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in. I, I listened to the last uh, podcast, uh, which was um, which was nice. Um, it gave me some some things, some thoughts, I guess, that I wanted to to kind of bring up. So I know Lauren, in the last episode, you talked about lifting heavy in the off season, right? So and and Thomas just mention that as well uh, at some point endurance athletes need to get under something heavy right um but i i want to flip this and, and ask thomas to kind of define what heavy means because my my thought is and and i talk to my patients about this all the time as i'm advocating for them to get under some heavier load is heavy is always relative to the person Right. So what's heavy to me may not necessarily be heavy to Thomas and may not be heavy to, to any of you. So, Thomas, what what do you mean when you say heavy load, heavy weight? Um, yes. Let's take let's take a trap bar deadlift or a back squat as an example. Um, for Let's go trap bar first. A heavy trap bar for most people might be body weight on the bar. I think that's a good starting point, right? Heavy trap bar should be like one and a half to two times body weight on the bar. Now I'm not saying five, six reps, two, three reps, and then rest, repeat. So you're getting that heavy, heavy stimulus that you're probably not used to. And you're only doing it for two or three reps, right? Keep the volume down, make sure it's heavy, body gets a good physiological response from that. Um, take a back squat. Heavy for most people, probably be body weight back squat. So then you're looking at one to one point two five to one and a half kind of range. Um, and again, this is going to vary male, female. You know, training age. Are they younger? Are they older? Where, where, how long have they been doing it? Right. Um, and then the consistency of that, once, twice, three times a week. But you're not you're not going so heavy that you're going to fail. Right. That's not necessarily needed. But you want it to be heavy that by the time you get to that maybe second, third, fourth rep, that it feels pretty hard. And that's what I would probably consider would be heavy for most people. Yeah. So I, I agree with that. And we, we've talked about those like relative strength numbers uh, in, in our building a lot. Um, 
but I'm going to, I'm going to flip it around, I guess, again, and, and ask, um, for someone that has, this is new for them, that they're just introducing, um, some, some heavier strength training into the mix. They have a, a young, like you mentioned, training age, right? They may be 35 years old, but they really have never lifted weights. So they're a young training age type of person, you know, deadlifting or back squatting their body weight on the bar may not be reasonable for them right, right. now. Right. So what's, what's the steps to, to kind of get that, get them to that point. So that's the ultimate end goal, right? We would love to see people be able to lift that amount of weight, but don't necessarily expect them to be able to do that day one or, you know, month one. Um, but how, how do you, how do you get them there? Um, like you, you got to start somewhere and, and then there's, you know, you're, you're, you're basing your load on, on percentages, um, right. At, at, at some point earlier in the training, especially. Um, oh no, I would say early in the training, no, it would just be a basic progressive overload. So let's say you have a 35 year old who's never worked out and they start with a trap bar, might put 110 pounds on the bar. And then the next day they come in, we go to 130 pounds. So you incrementally pick that up each time they come in. That would be ideally the, the linear fashion that you would follow in order to follow kind of a progressive overload strength training program. So, and, and that goes into the coaching aspect, right? Like if we've had multiple clients come in, we'll say, all right, let's do this, put this on a bar. And it's like a struggle. You can tell within the first second, all right, we're going to stop that, pull it back down, drop some more weight. And then, they get that great let's do three sets of five and then the next time they come in we're going to increase a little bit three sets of five so that would be a the easiest way to kind of progressive strength you're going to get something out of it and then each week you're gain a little bit more and more and you want to do it most safe like posture and position is super important right you want to make sure we're doing it correctly um, before we're throwing on too much weight does that better answer? i think just to, to talk talk on, on that for a second i think you know in a scenario that Thomas just threw out there, you know, he, he has been doing this a really, really long time. So after watching somebody move um, and, and, you know, taking them through that assessment, he's probably already got a, a little bit of an idea of, all right, we're going to do trap bar deadlift today. And this person can probably do 95 pounds or can probably do 135 pounds. Like that's what, probably 15 years or so of experience that you start to figure that out. Mm -hmm. So again, there's no like set number that you should start with. Um, and I think having, uh, an experienced coach, uh, like, like Thomas to help you kind of figure out where to start is, is certainly advantageous. I mean, you guys talk about it with, with your clients, like that's what, they hire you for, right? Like your expertise and, and your ability to kind of guide and, and determine where they start and how they build. So if I can elaborate on that for just a quick second, because I think a lot of the runners who are listening to this are going to think I need to be able to squat my body weight or, or one and a half times my body weight. Uh, that sounds huge. <laughs> Someone like me, I know it's huge. Um, and I know that they're thinking, well, I do a body weight sport. I'm only carrying the weight of my body. Why do I need to be lifting this heavy? 
Um, so I want to emphasize too, to, for listeners to remember you're only carrying the weight of your body, but every time your foot strikes the ground, it's your body weight plus gravity plus momentum that's hitting the ground every time. And your joints from your foot all the way up the chain have to withstand that massive amount of force every single foot strike. Yeah. I think um, the stats on that are, are like four times your body weight, I think is. Yeah. The it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. With every step, you're, you're four times your body weight uh, com coming down. I, I believe that's correct. So if we're looking at, if the goal is to get to being able to lift weight that heavy, um, how many, if, if we're at home trying to figure out for ourselves how much weight we should be lifting, what is the rep range? Like we want to be able to do four reps, five reps at a certain weight to know that that's the right starting point or how, how can we gauge where the right starting point is in working toward that goal? Let's, so let's back up. Maybe I shouldn't use those numbers as a reference. It doesn't have to, that's not like a, a, a automatic goal to get to like one and a half times body weight or back squat. That's not an absolute goal. That's just, numbers that have been put out there for kind of sports in, in general. Um, my first answer to that would be start with something you can do. The next time you come around, make it a little bit tougher. Next time you come around, make it a little bit tougher. And the rep range can be two to six. That's kind of the, the strength. You got power is one to two to three. Strength is three to six, seven. And you get your hypertrophy, eight to 12, so on and so forth. Um, now those bleed together a, a, a big, depending on how you're trained, those will bleed together, but somewhere in that three to six rep range is probably ideal to see where you're at. And then again, kind of gradually increase each time you do it. Does that answer that question? I think so. I think, um, <laughs> and I'll speak from my own experience, but also just from the experience of a lot of athletes I work with that endurance athletes really like to do a lot of reps. We're the mm -hmm. 10, 12, 15, you know, that's, we're good at that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so doing a weight that's heavy enough that four, three to six reps is, is in the, in the right range. Um, I think is maybe surprising to some of the people that are listening. That might be a lot heavier than what you're used to doing for something that's maybe double or triple that, that number of reps. Right. Um, yeah. And so to I your point, would, if you were, would, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say to your point, if you're doing it correctly, those three to six reps should feel taxing, right? If you're keeping mm -hmm. your posture in position and you're, you're having to put effort into the ground to pick up a bar or whatever it is, by the time you get to that fifth or sixth one, you should be like, okay, yeah, that was pretty tough. So then that would kind of offset that 15 to 20 reps that you're used to doing. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people to speak to your point, Lauren, they hear, three to six reps, like how, how am I, that's not even a workout, right? Like I, I got to do at least 15 to feel fatigue, but we're, 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 um, counteracting that with the lower reps, you're doing a, a higher load. You, you can't do the same load and just cut the reps down that you're not going to get a training effect from that. But that being said, I also think that if you're a novice lifter, you can't, automatically jump to that, let's say body weight on the bar or one and a half times your body weight on the bar, just to, to see how it feels, right? You, you got to start with a, a weight that let's say you're doing an RDL and you have always done a 35 pound kettlebell for 15 reps. Well, 
you know if you're only going to do six reps that you can for sure do more weight, but you don't really know what's that conversion? How, how much can I do? Just add a little bit. And so if you've been doing 35 pounds for 15 reps, start by adding 10 more pounds and do six. We, we talk about in our world a, a lot is like, if, if you don't have, um, you know, if you, if you don't know what your one rep max or your two or three rep max is, you can think about if you're doing a set of five or six, you want to lift a weight that, um, like when you're done with that set, you might have in your mind, you, you think I may ha- be able to do that like one or two more reps and then I would fail. Right. So it's that, that reps in reserve concept that is helpful in, in terms of determining how much, you know, weight, if you have an appropriate weight, if, if you're doing a set of six and you get done with your six and you feel like you could have done it six more times, then that weight is probably too light. Right. But if you get to five in a set of six and your form starts to break, then that's probably a little bit too heavy. Right. You, you didn't have any reps in reserve. Would you, would you agree with that uh, concept, Thomas? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to, I was thinking reps in reserve and you spit it out. Yeah. So you're not necessarily looking to go to, you're definitely not looking to go to failure, but you are looking to work toward fatigue by the end of that three to six rep range. Yeah. And I would, I would, wouldn't necessarily call it like muscular fatigue. I would more of a neuromuscular, like you're, you're trying to get the, the brain and the hormonal response out of it more so than like a, I feel like my muscles are burning sensation. It should be, this was hard. My brain's like, tell me, okay, this is really hard. That's the more the, the mental fatigue side of it as opposed to that muscular fatigue. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I would say that, a... that muscle burn that you're you're often getting with exercise tends to be with like true fatigue when you're starting to work more endurance, right? Like when you get into rep ranges of, of 15 to 20 and you've got this just intense burn in your muscles because you have you know, you're, you're working more endurance there. You, you tend to not get that much when you're, you're working on that power explosive strength range. Is there a way, so like if, you know, a lot of runners, I think have better lower body strength generally than upper body, which can create like a challenge when you're trying to lift that heavy on your lower body, but like your grip strength isn't quite there or your arm strength isn't there to support that. Like, do you have any like tips for that? Like I know eventually it'll catch up at some point. Right. But those first few weeks of training and you're like, I don't think I can hold this weight in my hands for six reps. Like, right. what do you do in that situation? Um, let's take a chalk it up exercise. and strap it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. If we're talking specifically barbell or dumbbells. You can use straps. That's a easy cheat okay. code. We have some in our, our gym that we'll use. Um, or you could just change the exercise go from a deadlift to a like a Romanian deadlift with straps or to a back squat, something that doesn't require to use your hands or just add in some of the other stuff. Farmers carries are great for grip. Um, if you do plenty of those and those are non-taxing, right? You can get pretty heavy with those and then add them to the end of the workout. And then over time you'll see your grip strength get better. And those are good for yeah, the that, trunk that's core. That's what I was going to say. It, I, I think that really is just a commitment to a long-term training progression you're probably going to be limited by your grip strength to start with if 
if you're lifting for the first time, you have no training effect with lifting things or holding things that are heavy. So you can't expect just like one of your clients that has never run before, but now wants to go run a half marathon, they can't expect on their first training run to go out and run 13.1 miles, right? There's, you've got to build it up and, Mm -hmm. and they can't expect that result overnight, right? It's just a gradual progression. It's a commitment to long-term success. Um, and, and that, that grip strength in, in this example will eventually catch up as you, as you train. That was a really good question. I've actually seen that in myself and it's taken like a year for, and I do, I do use the straps to, to wrap around my wrist and help me hold on to heavier weight better because that's a limiting factor for me. Um, and it's taken a good full year to feel like my grip has kind of caught up to the, the weight that my legs are able to lift. That was a really good question, Michelle. I'm glad you asked. It's personal experience. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) my arms are not quite where my legs are. So I get it. (laughs) Yeah. But again, I think that speaks to a well-rounded strength training program, right? Like, like you said, Michelle, most runners, um, they, they probably in their strength training, if, if they are doing strength training and it's not necessarily programmed by somebody, it's just, you know, things that they're doing to try to keep themselves in shape. They're probably focusing more on lower body because they think of running as a lower body intensive exercise, which obviously it is, but upper body strength is important for running as well. And Thomas can certainly elaborate on that. But, um, you know, it's, it's probably a reflection of just not having a, a, a comprehensive training program, mm-hmm. right? Like they need to train upper body along with the lower body as well. So if we can elaborate on that a little bit, I think, um, I think every runner knows that we are supposed to do strength training for injury prevention. And I think when it's phrased that way, the mentality tends to be, but I'm not injured. <laughs> so it, it gets put on the back burner until we have a problem. And, and maybe that's when we start to think about it. Um, so injury prevention, yes, is, is huge. But what other benefits can we get from strength training that maybe aren't related to preventing injury or maybe related to our, our form and our efficiency and, and things like that. What, what other benefits can strength provide to an endurance athlete? Um, it's been researched pretty significantly that re, uh, sorry, running economy is improved and then running efficiency is improved. Um, if, if we want to go to the upper body, what's the most important part of running beside your legs, your arms, right? So then if your arms don't fatigue as easily and they're strong, or then you should see a better efficiency, better economy. So I would um, go on the injury prevention piece. John can comment on this, but like most of those injuries are probably what joint related, tendon related. Yeah, yeah. M- so then, more times than not, they're they're muscle tendon. Yeah, and, and we'll, so, we can dive into this a little bit more. But the 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 terminology of of overuse. Um, we, we really have kind of tried to rephrase, reframe that thought process. It's not that you're doing 
too much. It's actually that you're doing too little to prepare for what you're doing. So we call it an underprepared injury instead of a, an overuse injury. So I think, you know, athletes don't want to be told you're doing too much, right? Like we just need to prepare your body better um, and, and build up the strength and the integrity and the resiliency of those muscles and tendons. So they don't break down as much. And then going back to the, go ahead. No, I was going to ask if, if, if I'm a, an endurance, you know, athlete, I'm running, let's say training for a marathon and I know, you know, I should be strength training and I'm you know committed to strength training for injury prevention. When should I fit that into my schedule? Like, should it be part of, you know, a specific day of the week, a specific part of my cycle? Like, how does that fit in for injury prevention specifically? So let's, what would a week block look like in terms of your running? Let's say that, I'm running, would, you know, yeah, five days a week. And depending on like your longer day, your recovery day, your whatever speed, like however you break it down, that would determine when you would put in the strength training workout. Um, and then you could turn one block, like one day into two days. So it's, so let's say you have two 45 minute sessions that you would normally do. And then you get into the thick of your, your running program. So then you can turn that into two 20 minute blocks, right? Just cut back a little bit. And depending on your mileage and your recovery days kind of place those in there around that. So unless, so that's a, a very basic way of saying it depends, depends on what your training program looks like because running's the focus then you got to backfill that with the strength training on the days that you feel good and can get them done. Yeah. I think to like go into that, um, maybe a little bit deeper or from a different perspective, I think a lot depends on where you are in your training block. Right. So like, are you, did you just, two weeks ago, complete your goal race for the fall. And now you're in the end of your off season. Um, like you talked about that on your last episode, like this is the time that we focus on recovery and building yourself up, doing lots of strength training. And um, so I, I, I tend to look at things like a scale, right? So right now your scale should be heavily tipped in the strength training because your running is way less, right? You just completed your goal race. You talked about it again on the last episode, like you should be taking at least a week off from running, but doing other things. And then as you start to run, your mileage is still pretty low, right? So that's the focus. You go strength training heavy. Um, that's a majority of what you're doing on a weekly basis. And then the closer you get to your goal race, that scale starts to tip. And now you're two weeks out of your goal race. Your focus is heavily weighted in running, but the strength never goes away. Just like the running never goes away early on, you're just doing enough to kind of keep your base, right? So right now you're building, building, building from a strength perspective. As you get closer to that goal race, now the focus on the strength is, hey, let's just maintain what I just gained over the last couple of months so that when I get to the next off season, I'm not starting all over. I've kept what I've gained and now I can keep building year to year. Again, it's 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 that commitment to the long-term performance gains. You can't look at this 
as an instantaneous reward. Now you'll notice some big differences, but it's really one year, two year, three years of doing that consistently where you're really going to look back and say, man, I am a ton stronger and I am running so much better, more efficiently. I'm running faster times and I hurt less. My recovery is quicker. All of those things are going to, you know, pan out over, over a long-term approach, not just one off season. Yeah. I think that's a really great point. And I think, um, Thomas, I don't know if you feel differently or want to elaborate, but part of the reason that we periodize that way is the time and energy balance that to, to lift heavy and prior put your strength as the priority while you're in the peak of your running training is a massive demand on, on your body and on your time also. Um, so using that off-season time when you are running less, when you have a little bit more time available, a little bit more energy available, is your time to build your strength. And then, like you said, maintaining it as you're increasing and building your run training. And that, it, like you said, when we look at a long-term trajectory for an athlete as a, as a runner, we are increasing recovering, increasing recovering. Stress plus rest is the, the equation. Um, and it goes the same way with strength that you are periodizing and getting stronger in each season, each, each, um, block of, of strength training. So for, for listeners to kind of understand, it's not that you don't need the strength training when you're in the peak of your running. It's that it's the time and the, the energy cost on your body that we have to kind of balance out and, and periodize. Does that make sense? Yep. Absolutely. Um, so one of the questions that we get really often, um, endurance athletes, when they think about lifting heavy, one of the first questions they have is going to be, well, isn't that going to make my body heavy? Um, is lifting heavy going to make me bigger? Um, so let me ask you that question. Just flat, flat out like that. Is lifting heavy going to make a runner bigger, heavier? No. No. You want to go into the deep? Yeah, no. So you, if, in order, and, and most people, I just had this conversation in nutrition class yesterday. It is harder to gain weight than it is to lose weight for most people. Um, could you feel heavier? Especially as like, an endurance it, athlete. Yeah, because you're putting in so much energy demands doing the running stuff that it's going to be super difficult to start putting on a lot of weight. Um and physiologically, in order to put on weight, you have to do what they would call hypertrophy training, which is that two failure, a little bit higher rep range. You're talking eight to 12, but you're taking the muscle to complete failure, right? That's how you're going to get a lot of that growth stimulus. Um, the three to six rep range, you're not, you're getting, a, again, go back to that neurological stimulus. It comes down to motor, neuro, motor unit neurons and like collectively um firing more muscular fibers right that doesn't mean you're going to add weight or add muscle and then on top of that you have to eat in order and that's the biggest component like if you're not eating enough food and you can lift weights all you want you're not you're not going to get heavier right so the food on top of that is where the the weight gain comes into play so lifting heavy you will not get heavy you might feel heavy every now and then just because of the neurological stimulus but weight should not do anything I think that's a good, 
maybe something to elaborate on there too is um, so putting on muscle mass is very difficult for anybody, especially for an endurance athlete. Um, but can strength training help you lean down? Can it help you burn body fat? Absolutely. So muscle is the highest like energy demand part of the body other than some of your vital organs. So if you look at any kind of weight loss study research category, like if someone puts on more muscle mass, they are going to lose weight faster. It is going to help you lean out because it requires more energy to maintain that. If you, let's say someone puts on 10 pounds of muscle and they tested their, their resting metabolic rate before and after that the calories needed to maintain that is going to increase. So yeah, muscle demands more calories, more energy from a day-to-day -day basis standpoint. So absolutely. And just because you're not getting bigger doesn't mean you're not getting stronger. So, you know, I think that a lot of times in your head, you think I have to put muscle mass on to be stronger, but that's not true, is it? Not true at all. No, and that goes into relative strength. Relative strength being your body weight compared to the weight that you can move, right? Anybody that's come and trained with us has increased their strength, right? We have you know, 40, 50 year old guys that have, we have one Kevin who used to be a distance runner who put on, what was it, John, 40 pounds on his back squat? 50 pounds on his back uh, squat. Do you remember? Yeah, at, at least. Yeah. 40 or 50 pounds. From, from last he, year. Yeah. From last year. But he may have gained five pounds. Like he's not 20 pounds heavier than he was, but he's way stronger than he was last year. Mm -hmm. And that, again, that goes back to that neuromuscular. Like your brain figures out that it can use more muscles at once to move heavier weight. So it's more of a neuromuscular adaptation as it is more muscles. I think that's a good point that, again, putting on actual muscle mass is very difficult, but, but if you did, it's productive mass. It's mass that's helping to propel you forward faster for longer. Like it's not just dead weight on your body. It's productive mass that you're adding to your body. If you were to add on, on muscle weight, um, one of the, so we talked obviously, okay, strength training is great for injury prevention. It's great for uh, efficiency, running economy. Those are, those are huge. Um, I think when we look at like a runner's form, um, a lot of the times the most common things that we see in running form that are inefficient are almost always a strength issue. Someone is, is weak in a certain area that's, you know, their, their stride is, their foot is hitting the ground in the wrong place or their hip is collapsing underneath them when they hit the ground. Um, so strength is huge for form and efficiency, making running easier on you. Um, what about if you're already injured, can, one of the conversations I've had recently with a couple athletes is, it, they've gotten themselves into a situation where they are injured um, and we're trying to kind of push strength training as part of that recovery. And one of the things that I hear is I'm going to hop on this as soon as I'm recovered. I'm going to get on my strength training when I'm healed. I, I'm going to do it. Um, can strength training be part of the healing process uh, as well when, when you do get yourself into the, that kind of a situation? Yeah, I'll, I'll take this one because it's in my wheelhouse. Um, yeah, short answer is, I mean, that that is one thing that is consistently shown to improve um, pain and recovery after injury is, is loaded strength training. Um, eccentric exercise specifically has, when you're talking about a muscular 
tendinous injury. Like we talked, uh, we made that comment earlier. A, a majority of running related injuries do ultimately come down to, um, you know, uh, irritation uh, at the at the muscle or the tendon or both. Right. Uh, every now and then you'll have a, a joint related injury, which the the treatment for that is a little bit different. But when you're talking about muscle and tendon, whether it's a strain or a tendonitis or something like that, eccentric loaded eccentric exercise is the gold standard treatment for that. Um, loading that muscle appropriately, right? It, it, it always comes down to the dosage, whether it's, it's sets and reps or the resistance that you add. Uh, it needs to be dosed properly, but, but there is huge benefits from a rehab and recovery standpoint to activating that muscle and, and adding some, some load to it to, to build the strength, the integrity and the resiliency of that muscle and, and tendon. Very helpful in the, in the recovery process as well as the, you know, post-recovery process. Is there, you mentioned just, oh, sorry, Lauren, go ahead. Go ahead, Michelle. No, go ahead. Um, I think like you mentioned eccentric exercises, you know, like loaded eccentric exercises. Is that like Mm -hmm. the best modality generally for runners to use? Or like, is it better to use, you know, free weights? Like, is there one type of strength more beneficial either for ongoing strength training versus injury recovery than another? Does that make Uh, sense? Yes, it does. Uh, and, and my answer to that is the the best thing to do is vary what you do. Okay. Variability and variety in your training is, is super important. And you think about your running clients, right? Like they're not going to get to the speed or the pace that they want if they never do any speed work, right? If you just have them going and running, you know, 20 mile long, uh, long runs every day, there's a, there's a training effect to that, but, but it's, it's not going to get them faster, right? It's variability is, is very important. Um, so from a rehab specific standpoint, if, if we have a, a muscle strain or a tendonitis type of injury, there is uh, kind of a stepping stone of exercise types that we want to introduce. So if you've got somebody that that's coming in and they're really acutely flared up, this is a, a, a relatively new injury. They're really painful and irritable. They're probably not going to tolerate eccentric exercise right mm-hmm. then and there. It's a great thing for them to do at some point, but that's not, probably the best thing to, to start them with. So we're going to do things that desensitize that area. That's where the, the manual therapy hands-on stuff comes in. And we're probably going to start that with some isometric um, muscle activation. So that is like the beginning, the lower level um, beginning stages. And then as they uh, they're showing that they are tolerating the isometric stuff, then we'll start to add in, some eccentrics and see if they, um, if they can tolerate that. And then we'll even progress the eccentrics from a early to mid range, uh, eccentric to an end range eccentric. Uh, and then eventually we just get them into a well-rounded, um, strength training program that focuses on 
some isometric, some concentric, some eccentric, just normal um, strength training loads. Hmm. Does that answer the question? No. Yeah, that was great. All right. So Scott sort of touched on this a moment ago, and he was asking about um, where does a strength program fit into a training week um, in terms of like, should you be strength training on your rest day, on your recovery day? Um, and I think Thomas's good answer was it depends um, on the athlete and, and what the schedule is. Um, but and, and this may be sort of the same answer. Is there a better practice to lifting before you run or lifting after you run? Um, I, I have yes. my thoughts, but and I'll yes. let Thomas go first. Go, go ahead, John. I, uh, I was going to say, I mean, that, that kind of depends as well, but I, I'll go back to that, like that sliding scale of where you are in your training block based on where you are, what is the primary focus of your, of, of your training that week? Is the running part the most important or is the strength training the most important? And depending on the answer to that, I would put that one first and, and, and be fresh for that. So if you're two weeks out of, you know, post goal race and you're in your off season, and your running demand is is really low right now and your focus is strength training then get the strength training in first and then go for a light run afterwards because you want that quality work to be in the strength realm right and as you progress towards your next goal race your in-season training block the the running becomes more of the focus then maybe that's where you want your quality work to be in and then you you hit the strength stuff afterwards. That's kind of my, but at the end of the day, it does kind of depend on uh, each individual athlete, um, you know, their schedules and, and when they can fit it in. But I think that's that's kind of my two cents on that. Yeah, I was just going to add, in an, in an ideal world, if you could split the two, like do one in the morning, one in the afternoon, that's probably the best thing that you can do. Um, but not everybody has that, that schedule. So if it, again, going, depending on what part of that running program you're in, um, I would probably place the running first, like let's say you're in the middle of your season and then do the strength training afterwards. Um, unless you're just someone who can get through the strength training and then likes to run afterwards. I know personally, like for me, I would rather do the strength training first and then run right after that because then I feel like I'm kind of warmed up for the run. Some people like to run in first, feel warmed up, and then strength train. It's not like a, a you know, the which came first, right, the egg. It just depends on, again, where you're at in your training, what's the priority. But if you could split it, one in the morning, one in the evening, then it doesn't matter which one is there. Does that make sense? Then it matters, are you sleeping enough? Are you eating enough? So that when you get from one to the next, you feel recovered to do whatever it is you're doing in the afternoon. That's a huge point. Are you eating enough? Because I think when you try to do both workouts together back to back, um, it's really hard to do that much work, that much load without some sort of meal in the middle there. Like uh, even if it's just a shake or something like that. Um, this time last year, actually, I was training with Thomas um, and he was planning my strength training for me. 
And that was the problem I ran into as I was doing both workouts together and I would get into my strength session and just, oh my God, I'm so hungry. I can't get mm-hmm. through this workout. So <laughs> separating them um, is, is really helpful when you're doing uh, heavy work on both. Um, and I think if I could elaborate on that, I think that you can change the order that you're doing those even day to day. It doesn't even necessarily have to be uh, based on the, your seasonal progression. If you've got an easy run one day, you can do the strength training before that and then go run easy. If you in the middle of the week have a speed session, you can do the speed session first. That workout is the priority and do your strength training later. And I think it's helpful to try both ways too, because strength training can help engage all of those supportive muscles that you need to activate when you run. Um, and conversely, doing your strength training after you run, when you've been doing this repetitive movement, can also function as mobility. It, you should feel better after your strength session than if you had just done the run alone and moved on with your day. It can really help with your joint mobility, muscle mobility also. So yeah, I, I think- agree with that trying it both ways um, is is a good practice. Doing it both ways is a good practice. Yeah, I like the idea of switching it up because I know myself, I will always prioritize a run, like runners, where that's our sport. So we're going to say, okay, I got to get my run in today, but if strength happens, you know, so I think that's yeah, really good advice. <laughs> yeah, it's like, if it, if it happens, it happens. And I know I'm guilty of that too, but um, knowing how important it is, but I think that's really good to like switch it up and maybe even change it day to day or week to week in your schedule so that you make sure you're getting that in might be something I'm trying this week instead of, you know, um, cause it might just, even maybe that mental stimulation would help keep you motivated a little bit. So if you, I'll, I'll ask this question of each of you individually, and I'm going to ask you to choose different answers, even though you might actually have the same answer. Um, if you could choose just one exercise, to that a runner needs to do in their strength training program and you can only pick one what would it be thomas i'll let you go first what all right <laughs> <laughs> let's see if i steal it um i was looking at this question and thinking back about stuff but uh a reverse lunge or walking lunges i'm gonna preface those because oh. they're kind of the same but a heavy lunge so you can do a barbell reverse lunge or forward lunge doesn't matter Single leg movement, and I'll probably sell it for me, but yeah, one of those. Can I mean, okay. it, visualize that like a back squat, but you're one leg back, one leg up, or step forward, Can, step back up. Before we leave that, is there a benefit to doing either a static lunge where, where you're not moving your feet versus a forward lunge or a backward lunge? Is one of those three better or worse or, or where does it depend? I'm going to throw it back at you. When you do a split lunge, do your feet, both feet stay on the ground. So your split stance and you're going down and up, both feet are on the ground. When you step up and step back, how many feet are on the ground? One, one, one. So which one's going to get more stability out of it? The moving one. The, Split lunges are good right, for certain one. things, but in order to really attack like the stability at the hip, stepping out of a lunge is imperative. We'll use split squats for warm ups. They're good for certain things, but really to load the hip and get a lot out of it, that foot needs to get on the ground and off the ground so that you are standing on one leg at some point. 
does it matter if you're doing a back lunge, a back lunge or a front lunge? Does that matter? Uh, yes. So this goes into kind of some of those really, really fine details. If you do a forward lunge and step back into place, you are going to get your quads a little bit more than if you do a reverse lunge. A reverse lunge is going to get the glutes a little bit more. You're going to have a more vertical shin on a reverse lunge. When you go forward, you might have a little bit more of a positive shin angle. So your quads are going to be a little bit more active. And then, or you can take the barbell out of rack and do a walking lunge with heavier weight. And then you're going to get a little bit of both. So in the that details. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, to, to elaborate or, or make it a little bit more specific, um, to the person, depending on what their race is coming up or a, a weakness that they have, if, if they have a, a really hilly race and they're going to be a lot of, of deceleration or, or downhill stuff, they need to have resilient quads to do that. Right. So, um, having a more quad dominant exercise choice in their programming to help build that, uh, during their training block might be helpful. Um, or if it's just something that they know is, is kind of a weakness of theirs, um, from, from previous races that maybe they've had a history of, um, anterior knee pain, uh, on, on the downhill parts of runs and stuff like that. You may, you may choose a more quad dominant, um, exercise to, to try to build that up and, and get them a little bit more resilient. Um, so, uh, he did steal mine. So I'm, I'm going to come up with a, a new one. I, I think any, um, any single leg exercise is what I'm going to choose. I think that really, um, if, if I had to sum up, uh, strength training for athletes in one statement, uh, from a programming standpoint, compared to maybe just a uh, a standard, I want to be healthy and strong, um, like non-athletic person, single leg movements have to be a huge part of that programming because as athletes, we're on one leg all the time. It's, it's not often that we're on both legs at, at the same time. So you've got to train single leg varieties. So I love the single leg. Um, I love the reverse lunge or, or lunge variations, um, I mean, can I say a, a rear foot elevated split squat? It's basically the same exercise. Um, I feel like that's kind of a cop out. Um, so I'm going to go with a heavy uh, single leg RDL. I think, um, and and again, depending on where you are in your training block, I'm going to emphasize the word heavy. I, I think that's one of those exercises that a lot of runners have discovered is really, really helpful for them. Um, but they tend to think of it always in an accessory exercise way versus a heavy way. So it's not like we only program it with low reps in mind. We I'll certainly have people do 10 reps aside at times, but there's also times where I do five reps or six reps aside and, and really try to get some heavier weight in their, in their hand uh, to, to challenge, uh, both strength and stability. So I I think that's a great bang for your buck exercise. If you're already doing the reverse lunge or, or, or whatever lunge variation, um, throw in some single leg RDLs because you get a lot of, of hip and core stability, posterior chain strengthening, which is, you know, certainly a, a consistent weak area for a lot of runners that posterior chain. Can you elaborate on that really quick for, I think 
one of the things that I see really often for something like a single leg deadlift, where you're really spending most of your time on that one leg and balance and stability can be really, really tricky for someone who's starting that exercise. Mm -hmm. How, how can we modify a single leg deadlift if stability is a big challenge for you and you, you want to be able to, to load some weight on there? Yeah, that's a great question. So, cause so I'll, I will program, depending on my goal for that exercise, if, if I'm really trying to load it heavy and, and, and the focus on that given day for that given patient is to add strength, then I'll put them close to the wall. So they're maybe a few feet, they're back to the wall. Um, so as they go down, they're reaching their back foot to the wall and their foot actually touches the wall to, to give them a little bit of a, a balance uh, support there. You can also, do the same thing and put their their back leg on the bench and as they go down they just slide their foot along the bench so that's supported there uh, I, I think there there is a, a benefit to, to both and so I can program that same exercise for the same person for two completely different reasons you know one day I might go heavy with support if they're limited by the stability component and then the next time I may do the same exercise with them, but go really light and take away that support. So we work more stability in that case. It just depends on what, what I want, what I feel like is going to be the most impactful for them on that, um, on that particular day. You can also do a hand hold assist if you're next to a countertop or something like that. Um, we, we have like some high boxes in here that, that we'll use. So as they're, if they're holding their weight, the weight in the right hand, they've, they've got their left hand there on the box to kind of help support it. There's plenty of ways that you can, you can do that. I was going to say we have, and we've utilized it with a barbell, but you'll see it somewhere, some places called a B stance, just call it a split stance. So where your one foot is dropped back behind the other foot. And you, then you got to really kind of concentrate and emphasize on putting the weight on the forward leg, but then you kind of have that kickstand approach where you can load it up a little bit heavier too. Right. I've seen that before. Like a staggered stance. So this was not on our list of questions, um, but before before we wrap up a little bit, the, talking about sliding made me think of it. Um, do you guys have an opinion? Let's um, say that you're working out at home because in a traditional gym, you have to wear shoes. That's the rule. Do you have an opinion on training uh, in sneakers versus training barefoot? Does it matter? I think it depends. You have an opinion? Uh, I, I think have if an you opinion, can, Thomas. <laughs> I was going to say, I think if you can go barefoot, go barefoot. Yeah. With and, the, and with, why? Why? Because, well, let me preface this. Uh, do you have the mobility to do a squat correctly and your heels not come off the ground? Like, there are some constraints in there that if, if you don't have the mobility to do a specific exercise, then yes, you should probably use some shoes or something that's going to put you in a better position. But being barefoot allows your toes to splay out. Split, splay out. Um, it also gives you contact with the ground. I just think there's more to it. If, if I could run around in our gym without any shoes on all the time, I would, but you get people going, you got your toes out. Why are your feet? Yeah, you know what I mean? So... Uh, depending on the setting, if it's at my house and I'm in my basement working out, then I'm probably going to go down there without any shoes and socks on. I just like the idea of 
being in contact with the ground without something, some barrier. Yeah, and I would agree with that. Uh, I think, again, it depends on what you're going for, but I do think that there are some additional stability uh, benefits to not having the shoe on. Um, but again, just to re reiterate a, a comment that Thomas made, um, if, if you have to compensate because of your lack of mobility or you have to lower the weight because you can't do an exercise properly in bare feet, again, depending on the goal, I would probably choose to use shoes to get the person in a, a better position so that they can load themselves a little bit more. I'm going to ex expand on that. On the flip side, um, I've seen this with multiple people. They have shoes on. We're doing a rear foot elevated split squat. They cannot balance or stabilize. You take their shoe off and then all of a sudden they can balance stabilize because they actually can use their big toe to put into the ground and create that arch that they need to stabilize. So yeah, yeah. It, it, all given a scenario, it just kind of depends. And those people are probably wearing a like a a, a heavily cushioned shoe in in those yes. situations. Yeah. So they're they're basically standing on a foam pad in their shoe, right? I think that's a great point. I think that because we run in shoes, you can become heavily dependent on that support and structure. Um, and you don't get your feet, don't get the chance to splay the way that they should or, or support you in the way that they should. So um, yeah, I, I like that. And I agree with you guys on that. I would add, make sure you take your socks off. I kind of laughed when Thomas said something about taking off shoes and socks, because if you're just doing it in your socks, you're going to slip and, uh, slide all over the place. Mm -hmm. So completely barefoot is the way mm -hmm. to go if you're taking your shoes off. Uh, okay. Um, I do want to talk about EPI specifically a little bit uh, before we wrap up, but Michelle, Scott, did you guys have any more questions on our strength training discussion before we move forward? I don't think so. Um, you guys are very comprehensive. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm gaining a lot. So no, no questions for me. I need, before we wrap up, Scott, I know that you're going to need to hop off the call here in just a minute. So I want to make sure we give you a moment to hop off if you need to. Okay. I'm good for now. Okay. Um, all right. So let's talk about elite performance specifically. Um, we talked about how you guys have, have kind of brought together physical therapy and strength training under one roof and, and are combining those two <clears throat> modalities. Um, what, how do you think that has benefited the community locally to, to have a resource for athletes that has these two modalities under one roof and, and working together? I like to think that it's been a, a, a very positive impact on the community. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think, um, you know, we, we have gotten consistently good feedback, um, our clients uh, like our approach and, and like that we uh, have, you know, kind of that comprehensive uh, one-stop shop uh, kind of uh, facility. Um, yeah. I think overall it's been positive, um, but there's still a lot of people in the community that don't know we're here. So we, we got to keep getting the word out and, um, you know, hopefully people like yourself um, continue to spread the good word and, and we can make uh, a positive impact on, on even more people. 
Um, man, I just want to add one thing. Uh, a lot of our clients, and we refer to them as family, and there's multiples that look up to him as the dad of the facility and me as the big brother of the facility. Uh, it goes beyond just being in there. Uh, he, he already mentioned it earlier. I mean, we get to we get to know who's getting married, we get to know who's dating who. Like it's it becomes kind of this tight network of people that you have conversations way beyond just, hey, what are we lifting today or whatever. It's are you getting enough sleep? Are you taking care of your grades? Oh, great, you passed with an A's. Like you're going to graduate. You're going where to school? Like it becomes so much more than that. So from a community aspect, it really I kind of feels more like a family aspect, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I want to elaborate on that for a second, because um, to to be clear to the audience, um, the More Miles Run Coaching partners with Elite Performance Institute for all of our local athletes. Um, you're the first place that we recommend to send them for a lot of reasons. Um, but one of the big differences that I see in what you're doing versus what a maybe more traditional physical therapy setting is doing is the amount of time that you spend with the the person that walks into your facility, whether it's for strength or for physical therapy, um, they're going to come in and you're not, you're not just looking at their initial pain and treating their initial pain. You're looking at the person as a whole and looking for the source of the problem, looking for how you can get them on a path to long-term improvement. And when a person comes into your facility, they are getting your time for an extended block of time. It's not a quick 10 minute in and out of the office visit. It's you're sitting down and spending time with each person. And that really makes a difference um, just on a personal level. But then also having somewhere to send an athlete, someone who understands the athlete's body, the athlete's mindset. Um, I think you guys are, are excellent at trying to keep the athlete moving. Um, I think when people go to see their, their doctor, their primary care physician, one of the first things they hear is you need to rest, you need to stop. Um, and sometimes that's appropriate, but you guys do a really great job of understanding that uh, the mindset, I think, of an athlete and, and helping to keep people moving through recovery um, and, and in a long-term, again, trajectory forward. Um, so what kind of services do you offer at your facility? Uh, we have sports physical therapy. We have um, athletic development, sports performance training, uh, adult fitness. Um, team training. We have some – we have team training. Team training. We have um, – we do have a couple of batting cages for our baseball and softball uh athletes and and teams um what else i mean we don't necessarily i I think this kind of like piggybacks a comment that that thomas made a minute ago and and kind of is reflective of of our approach we don't necessarily offer as a like a paid service and like nutrition counseling but thomas is an expert in in nutrition he he teaches that over at hcc and so that's a kind of a constant service that is being provided that is not necessarily being charged for so it's like if you go to our website you're not going to see nutrition counseling listed as a service but it's just kind of part of it you know we're we're 
we're having conversations about that. He's making recommendations to people, you know, while they're training and, and it's just, yeah, kind of, kind of part of it. So who else works there? It's the two of you, you are the co-owners. Um, who else do you have under the, under the roof there? Uh, so we have, uh, Dr. Kevin Zager is another uh, PT of ours. Uh, we have Brian Pikorowski, uh, who is uh, our PTA. Um, and then, uh, Jacobo Rendon. Rendon. Yep. Uh, is our, uh, other, uh, sports performance, uh, strength coach on staff. And we have one more that fills in, um, Brandon Nathan. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's kind of a, um, as needed, uh, type of employee. Yeah. And then we have, uh, uh, another employee that is, does some like clerical stuff behind the scenes. Uh, but she's about to start PT school in a couple of weeks. So we're going to lose her, but we're excited. That's awesome. Her. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. So where can people find information about you? They are logging off of this podcast. Where can they log in to find elite performance? Hit it, Thomas. You got all of our social media stuff. God, social media. Uh, dot com is website. Um, Instagram and Facebook is also Indie Elite Performance. And I think Twitter is NDEPI. But you can find all those links at the bottom of the website or top right of the website, I believe. Can people schedule an appointment straight through your website for either any services? So from my perspective, it's a little tricky, but you, we have a uh, form submission for either side, but you can get to our calendar and schedule a free trial if you've never been there before. Um, just kind of pick on the, the, the time frame, the day, ask you to fill out a couple things and then plug you in and you can do that. And that, that's from the performance training side of things. If you are interested in a PT appointment, the easiest thing to do uh, is just to text the number on the website um we we encourage people to text over call uh just because we're working with clients throughout the day and we can't always answer the phone so the text we can respond to quickly uh between patients and you often get a quicker response uh from a text but the form submission uh, on the website or a text uh will be just fine from a pt perspective and, and i'll help uh get that first appointment set up you know, something else I wanted to mention that is unique about you guys in terms of scheduling an appointment, especially on the physical therapy side, if you are hurt or you are hurting, um, you guys get people in really quickly. And I would like to think that's special for the run squad, but I know it's not. I know you do it for everybody. Um, and, and that's really makes a difference. I don't know how you do it all the time because I know you're busy, but you can call another physical therapy office and it might be a couple weeks before they can get you in or two weeks before they can get you in. And when you're currently in pain or your training is stopped, um, that's a problem. So you guys do an excellent job of getting people in quickly so that they can get the ball rolling toward, yeah. toward getting better. And I think that's, that's huge. reflective of, you know, we're, we're athletes, every single one of, of our employees, are, are former athletes. So we all have that mentality and, you know, we can all sympathize with uh, being injured and not being able to 
whether it's completely sidelined you from your sport or it's just impacting your ability to to play or participate at the level that you want that's that's not okay it's we want to try to get people um you know back up and running no pun intended as, as quickly as possible um so yeah it's it's important uh to us to to try to to try to do that if if we uh if it if at all possible well thank you guys so much for joining us today this has been really helpful i i'm glad that we had some time to sit down and and maybe even just scratch the surface. I feel like we could yeah. probably talk for a long time about strength training and, and maybe we'll have you back for a round two at some point here. But yeah, just call thank you for your one. time today. Thank you. Yeah. Strength training part one. That's right. <laughs> yeah, all right. Having... So you can, you can find this episode and all episodes of the more miles podcast at the more miles podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you can also find us at moremilestogo.com and you can find us on social media at more miles run coaching on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. All right. Thank you guys for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank, Thank you. you all. Thank Thanks. you.